Hello and welcome to the Money Mitch Effect 2017 edition. It's the first show of the new year. I am your host, Mitch Michaels. The podcast that keeps growing and growing and growing. We got a great show planned for you today. I'm going to talk to Jose Young's first UFC 207. He was there. He covers the fight for Sports Illustrated. He's got a lot to say about Ronda Rousey's defeat, Cody Garbrandt's surprising victory, and much more inside the octagon. And then Chris Miller, one of my favorite guests on the podcast, is going to come back and talk NFL Week 17 in the books. Regular season is over. We'll talk MVP race, coach of the year, who the playoff picture is most favoring. And we're going to talk Black Monday. A lot of coaches being fired. Six now. We're looking at even more numbers. We'll assess all the damage and more. It's the Money Mitch Effect 2017. Let's do it. All right, now joining the Money Mitch Effect, returning guest, Jose Youngs, MMA writer for SI. Jose, thanks for rejoining the show. Back again. It's always great to be on, my man. Thanks for having me. We did talk last week about UFC 207. We previewed it pretty thoroughly. And it was a little different than a lot of people, us included, expected. That's why we love sports. There's the element of surprise and UFC 207 in the T-Mobile Arena at Las Vegas certainly lived up to that. We'll start with the final fight that was on the card, Jose, the women's bantamweight title. Amanda Nunez defeating Ronda Rousey, thoroughly dominating her in less than a minute. Jose, you were at the fight. I want to ask you, starting with this, what was the initial reaction to what went down as it was going down in the T-Mobile Arena? I don't know how it came off through the screen or, or, or through the, the broadcast, but there, as soon as the ref stepped in to stop the fight at 48 seconds, I don't think Ronda really had any offense. Uh, she tried to clinch up. She threw a handful of lazy jabs, but... Right out of the gate, first punch Amanda threw, she landed clean, and from that point on, it was all downhill from there for as, as long as it lasted. And uh, I do think it was a good stoppage. The referee, uh, referee Herb Dean, uh, saved Ronda for more damage. But as soon as the fight was over, there was kind of a huge silence in, in, in the crowd. Uh, walking back to the media room, uh, into the press conference, I, I could see the fans uh, exiting, and a lot of them were actually crying. A lot of... Uh, the demographic was a lot different, obviously, as you could expect. There were a lot more women, a lot more middle-aged women, a lot more uh, younger, younger girls uh, in the crowd, and they were all teary-eyed, heartbroken, silent. From the perspective of a casual fan, and I'll just tell you my quick aside, not as glamorous as being there, obviously, but watching it at a bar where it was in Southern California, right outside of Venice, where she's from, a lot of Rousey fans. We couldn't necessarily see the silence in the, or hear the silence in the arena, but it was the same reaction. This was their fighter. This was somebody that a lot of people, and like you said, a different demographic of fans wanted to see win, and just not so much the loss, but how it went down. And you're exactly right. Rousey had no offense in, and that first shot was exactly what that was. It was the first shot that just set the tone for the rest of the fight. From my vantage point watching it on TV, Jose, and, and I don't know how it came off for you, but she, it's almost like her legs went numb. She locked up, and it was just open season for Nunez. It, did it look as dominant to you watching the 48 seconds, which was all the fight was? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can tell that uh, Ronda came in, and to Ronda's credit, she came into the fight in excellent shape. Uh, she hit the scale. She was looking uh, leaner and 
she's more muscular than she's ever looked before, especially in that Holly Holm fight. A lot of people made had remarks about how she looked off once she stepped off the scale, but she looks to be in the best shape of her life. But I know from Ronda's camp, she doesn't do a lot of actual sparring. She does a lot of pad work and a lot of foot movement and a lot of drills, but she doesn't have a partner to actually trade blows with her. And if you take 13 months off and you haven't been punched in the face or have someone try to punch you in the face, and then you step in against the world champion and you get punched in the face with smaller gloves, it's going to be a short night. I mean, you see Amanda, Amanda's uh, promo packages. She's always in the gym. She's always hitting pads and doing workouts, but she's also sparring with other fighters that are trying to knock her head off uh, every day at American Top 2, one of the best students in the world. And Ronda doesn't do that. She doesn't take the damage in, in camp. And uh, I know there's a lot of that talk about CTE, but... You still need someone to push you, and Ron did, never really had that. So it's hard to take 13 months off and then immediately try and step in against a world-class fighter. And when you haven't been punched in 13 months, you saw what happened. And Jose, before we get into the long-term ramifications for both these fighters, are you in the camp that she needed to Rousey needed a tune-up fight before getting into the ring with Nunez? Or, and I guess part two of that question, do you agree with what Nunez said, that it was a training problem, that Rousey's coach tried to make her a boxer, which was very foolish? I don't think she needed a tune-up fight. Uh, I know Ronda, and I know Amanda, I know Dana White. They all wanted the fight. I mean, Amanda asked for the fight. Ronda, I cannot imagine Ronda ever not fighting for the title. There's no possible way the UFC would have given her anyone besides the champion. I mean, and if anyone deserves an immediate title shot once she returns, it is Ronda Rousey for what she did for women's mixed martial arts and uh, getting women into the UFC to begin with. In terms of what Amanda said, I do I do agree that it was training, but that's been the narrative for Ronda for the last two years. I mean, right, right after that Holly Holm fight, everyone questioned why she was still sticking with her coach. Uh, the same coach that coached Travis Brown. You saw Travis Brown's uh, kind of in a the low point of his right. career. Uh, a lot of other fighters that have gone there have are on some losing streaks. Like, like I said, uh, it's been the narrative for a long time. Uh, her head coach Edmund Tarverdian is is a very polarizing figure. Uh, a lot of people can see can see the problems with her training, but Ronda doesn't doesn't seem to want to make the change. And I think her loyalty might hurt her, but she's loyal to her coach. She's had the same coach forever, and. I do agree with what Dana White said is no one was complaining when Ronda was winning, mm-hmm. but as soon as she stepped into the octagon with a legitimate striker and it, it just opened up her holes, I would have changed camps right there to at least to at least surround herself with other other fighters. Like John Jones said, you need those other US, UFC champions around you and those other contenders around you to push you. And it's pretty much the Ronda Rousey show in that gym. She's the biggest star. She's the only one. That's put in work all the time. And if she went to Jackson's and she was training next to Ronda, uh, Holly Holm and John Jones and Donald Cerrone and John Dotson and our Andre Arlovsky, she, she could absorb all of their knowledge. But it's Ronda's call. But like I said earlier, it has been the narrative for the last 13 months that Ronda does need a new coach. Absolutely. Well, still talking with Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect. And I want to, for a moment, Jose in recapping UFC 207, turn our attention, give proper credit to the champion, Amanda Nunez. Now seven victories in the UFC women's bantamweight division that had never been done before. She has four losses. We mentioned that last week on the show. You said a lot of it was stamina-related. She seems to have corrected those problems. Is the sky the limit for her? I mean, a lot of people outside of the sports passion fan base didn't really know how good she could be. Are we looking at a dominant champion for years to come? Dominant, maybe. Uh, her, she did crush Misha Tate. Uh, that was a legitimate 
TKO, but then you saw the next fight. Misha said her heart just wasn't in it for the last few fights. So you have to wonder if she fought Misha when Misha was 100%, and then you, when she fought Ronda, Ronda came in after 13 months off, and I, it's a lot of people said her heart just wasn't in to begin with, and she just wanted to fight. To, she didn't want to go out the way she did against Holly, and she, she wanted to prove something to herself and to the fans. I do want to see her fight maybe in a, a few more top challengers like the Juliana Pena's and the Val- Valentina rematch, and she definitely has to fight Holly because that's striker versus striker. Fight Raquel Pennington, another great boxer. Amanda's definitely a superstar now because looking back at 2016, the three biggest cards were UFC 196, UFC 200, and UFC 207. Yeah. And Amanda Nunes is the only fighter that's on all three. She, she was on the prelims, and then she main evented UFC 200, and then she main evented UFC 207. So for the casual fans, uh, she's definitely a superstar now. She speaks Portuguese. She speaks English. She's very charismatic. She's the first openly gay champion in UFC history, so there's a lot of ways the UFC can market her. I think they have a bona fide star on their hands, but in terms of actual competition, there are a lot of women out there I want to see her face first before I can call her a true dominant champion. Right, the division is as deep as it's been. I think it's time for her to start running off these wins, but the potential is certainly there. And I would argue, too, that if it's not her, she's at the the top of a very short list, Jose, for fighter of the year because of what you just mentioned. I don't know oh, anyone that has a better year than she did. Oh, 100% absolutely, but I'm sure we're going to talk about another <laughs> yeah. weight champion coming up that could be fighter of the year. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get to that in a second, but first, got to talk about Rousey and, I guess, her psyche, her future of the sport. Those were kind of one and the same now. Jose, I watched this fight, and you know, in the, it's so easy to be Monday morning quarterback and, and look at the fight after it happened and try to justify or, or explain she did look to me, Rousey, and I want to hear your opinion on this, obviously. Fighting mad is the old adage, you never really want to fight mad. You said her heart wasn't in it, like the narrative of her heart not being in it. It seemed to me like she went out there to try to avenge something that she just wasn't capable, wasn't ready to do. I don't know if you got a read on that, but to me it just seemed like the, the narrative, the motivation of her wanting to be the best fighter in the world just might not be there ever again. I think she's always going to want to be the best. Uh, like she said in her promo packages, and I know this is true, that fighting is the most important thing in her career. Uh, whether she wants to do it or not uh, is up to her, but fighting got got her to where she is. She wouldn't be in these movies without the UFC. And I know I know, Ronda loved being the champion, and she loved being the face of women's MMA. And she still is the face, but she's not the champion. And Ronda was a former Olympic bronze medalist. She's been a competitor since she was a... A very, very young girl, so right. take the movies out, take the modeling out, take the TV spots out. Ronda Rousey is a competitor, right. and as soon as she lost to Holly, I, I didn't know if she was going to come back, but if she did, I knew she was going to have something to prove, and she didn't talk trash at all this fight. Uh, she did do the media blackout, but even when she was on Conan and Ellen, she didn't do a lot of talking uh, negative towards Amanda. She just wanted to prove that she was still the best, so... She looked serious entering. She looked very serious on the wet, on the scale. She looked very serious entering. But you can look serious, and your head can be in the right place all you want. But when that octagon door closes, you have to rely on your skills. And Ronda Rousey just got outflashed. Is the old uh, adage true? And I, and I hate to reference something that's fictional, but the movie Rocky Three, they say you got civilized. Do you think that played a factor in her loss, or was Nunez just the better fighter? And did that not matter at all? I think Amanda was just a better fighter that night. Ronda, Amanda from a few years ago, 
She lost to Kazingano. Uh, she gassed out. She won the first round of gas and lost, and she grew and grew and grew, and now she's the champion. Ronda, I don't know how much she grew from her first UFC fight to now. She seemed to rely on the same tools she always had to win, and Amanda just got better. So a few years ago, Ronda Rousey could have been, could indeed have been better than Amanda, but right now I just think Amanda's the best fi- female fighter on the planet. Ronda Rousey could have won. Maybe she, she took her camp a little seriously. Maybe she had a better camp, but who knows. But I think at the end of the day, she just fought the best women's fighter on the planet, and it showed 48 seconds later. You're right, and I just I wonder that from the perspective that Rousey came up from practically nothing. She became a millionaire. She became uh, very, very famous, very successful. Very successful in a lot of things that she did. And you mentioned not maybe taking camp as serious if that played a factor. And it's just part of, you know, it's part of sports, especially a combat sport where we see athletes, boxers, and UFC fighters get famous and they slack off a bit. And it could be the difference. But, I mean, I'm also in the camp with you that I think Nunez is just a great fighter, was the better fighter that night. It would have been hard for anybody to beat her in the women's bantamweight division. But, Jose, I guess looking at it a different way, do you think now that the UFC division, the bantamweight division, has gotten better? Or do you think maybe Rousey was a tad overrated in her dominant run? I don't think she was overrated. I just think women caught up. When she broke up into the UFC, she was by far the best fighter. But it's like back in the day when Hoyce Gracie was winning UFC, the early UFC tournaments. And then he came back and he fought Matt Hughes, who was a... The, the current welterweight champion at the time, he just got outclassed. He got simply destroyed. And for a time, Ronda was the best. But when someone is the best and someone is, people are chasing you, they're not working to get as good as you. They're working to beat you. And I just think that three years after debuting, the women finally caught up to Ronda because for a long time, people just said it was the Ronda Rousey show. And it's true. The, the, the talent gap between Ronda and the rest of the division was so high in 2013 and 2014. And all the women just closed that gap. And partly because of Ronda and the, the superstar she was, that people worked towards beating her. And she was the champion for so long that all of these women basically built their camp around how can I beat Ronda Rousey. And it showed. And Amanda said it herself that when she debuted in the UFC, no matter who she was facing, she would always take a few, a few days of every fight camp just to train for a hypothetical fight with Ronda Rousey. She wasn't wow. scheduled to fight her. She wasn't anywhere near fighting Ronda. But for years, Amanda said, every few day, every once in a while, I would just do a few days of, what if I fought Ronda Rousey? This is what I would do. And that's what she worked on. And then it showed. And, and, and she was so prepared because she put three years of work in how to beat Ronda Rousey. Well, it makes you think. When you're at the top, there's always somebody chasing you. and. Exactly. It is. It's competitive sports. I mean, you're the best in the world. Everybody wants what you have. Before we exactly. move, before we move on to the other fights on this card, Jose, what's your sense as someone connected as an insider with Rousey? Do you think she ever fights again? And if so, when would you venture to say that would be? That is a very difficult question to answer. I mean, Ronda has only said at one statement since the fight was over, and she said she has to sit down with her team to figure it out. I feel if this fight was two or three rounds and then she lost or it was a decision or if it was a fight of the night, yeah, she might have retired. But she didn't take that much damage. I mean, she got punched a lot and got rocked and wobbled, but she didn't get hurt her knees. She didn't break her hands. She might. She probably has a concussion, but she left pretty much like unscathed physically, but mentally she, she's obviously devastated, like Dana White said. 
I don't know if she comes back because, I, like I said earlier, I can't imagine Ronda ever not fighting for the title. And at this point, she doesn't deserve to fight for the title after back-to-back knockout losses to champions. Uh, she'd have to take super fights. She'd have to. There had. There'd have to be something to draw her back. And outside of Chris Cyborg, who's dealing with her own anti-doping violation right now, I don't know if there's any fighter on the roster. Maybe Holly Holm, if they offer Ronda the rematch and they rematch her. Uh, bantamweight but right now holly's moving up to featherweight to fight for the title so that might be put off for a while too but it's gonna take a lot to get ronda back at this point maybe she wants to try one more time to prove she's better than 48 seconds but right now there's really no word from her camp at all right and you hear the reports out of uh, her camp that she's not sure her mother even said you know i kind of hope she retires i think the quote was let kind of let the ugly people get hit in the face Exactly. But it's tough, and, and I get both sides of it. She's approaching 30. She was as dominant as anybody, and you know it might be time to hang it up. And There's nothing wrong with a fighter in any combat sport getting out with their health. I can't stress that enough. And look, Jose, if she retires, if she never fights again, I'll always remember her, and I think everybody else will as well, as the reason why there is UFC women's fighting. And Ronda, more than any of the is probably the only fighter on the UFC roster that will be able to make money for the rest of her life solely based off of her name. I mean, when Conor retires, he's a superstar, but he's not a movie star superstar. Maybe he will get to that point, but if Ronda Rousey never fights again, you're still going to see Ronda in movies. You're still going to see her on commercials. She's still going to walk the red carpet. She's, she's, if, as, as me and you, we're men watching the sport, but when I was talking to a lot of the women in attendance, I asked them, like, I've never, like, do you ever go to UFC? Do you watch UFC? And they're all like, no, we're here to watch a women's icon. And, yeah, we talk about her being a champion and her being a great fighter, but at the end of the day, she was a huge, huge role model for young women and women in general all around the world. Uh, women that saw her cried when they would get her autographs, and she was a huge role model and, and a, just an icon. She was on another level in terms of superstardom and she's gonna she's gonna be set for the rest of her life that's for sure absolutely it's wherever you go to watch her fight whether it's in past tense or in future tense there were fans there that were there to see her that wouldn't see anybody else they would only see her and you know that transcends the sport and i'm gonna miss it if it doesn't happen again but again we i understand why you would get out if that is your choice so something to uh, something to pay attention to with ronda rousey's future in the octagon. Still talking with Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch effect. Let's move to another fight on the card. Jose, the Bantamweight men's division. Now this is where it gets intriguing. I don't think either of us saw this going down the way that it did with Cody Garbrandt beating Dominic Cruz, handing Cruz's first loss in about nine, ten years, and doing it in the way that he did, Jose, that was eye-opening. I was stunned to watch Garbrandt win that fight that way. Yeah, 100%. I remember I was on your show uh, before the fights, and I said the only way Cody would win is if he knocked him out or TKO'd him. And if Dominic was going to win, it would be a decision with his footwork and head movement. He was pretty much just going to outpace Cody and make a miss, and the exact opposite happened. Cody Garbrandt basically out-cruised. Excellent head movement, made a miss. Like Dominic said, he made him. he pulled Dominic in where... Cody would, was always on the move backwards, baiting Dominic in, because he was so confident in his power that he knew if he caught Dominic coming in, the fight was going to be over. Uh, Dominic knew that, so he had to keep his distance. And 
he threw a lot. Of, he threw a lot of blazing kicks. He missed a lot. Uh, I think that first few knockdowns and the that that first knockdown in the first or second round uh, really got to Dominic. Uh, the blood, the cut over his eyebrow was rough. One of the most perfect game plans I've ever seen a title challenger put together. Right up there with Holly versus uh, Ronda and TJ Dillashaw versus Hannah Barrow. Cody Garbrandt made who I still consider Dominic Cruz the greatest bantamweight in UFC history. Look like a look like he shouldn't be in there with him, and I would like to see it run back. Obviously, Dominic is one of the greatest fighters of all time, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. But his his post fight press conference is a thing of legends after that fight, and the UF, But outside of that, the UFC has a genuine superstar in Cody Garbrandt, and I'm very curious to see how far he can take this belt. Well, it was it was like a man fighting a child at parts in that fight. And I and look, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't really see too many of Garbrandt's fights before. You read up about him, you hear heavy hands, you hear he hits hard, but the narrative was can he catch Cruz? He was the fighter chasing the rabbit and then that fourth round happened, Jose, and he caught him. And it was stunning. I I think that the reaction that I saw watching it was Cruz couldn't believe it either. Like, someone caught me, someone who hits this hard, and it was, it's one of the most eye-opening things I've seen all year out of the Octagon. 100%, and with you, Cody Garbrandt, I think the fourth round, the fourth round had those three knockdowns, and I scored it a 10-8 round, and a lot of other media scored it a 10-8 round, and if you can put, if you would have told me that Cody Garbrandt would have had a 10-8 round on Dominic Cruz, won a decision, and popping locked in the middle of the cage while doing the ollie shuffle, I would have called you crazy. And that's yeah. exactly what we saw. And that was, in terms of just entertainment and high-level martial arts, it doesn't get much better than those two. Because, yeah, Cody Garbrandt had an excellent fight, but talk about Dominic Cruz's chin. I mean, he got mm-hmm. knocked on four or five times, and he never stayed down. He immediately popped back up. And right up until the last second, he was still pushing forward and still trying to get that win. So excellent, excellent performance from Cody Garbrandt, but another excellent performance by Dominic Cruz, and he's showing why he was the champion for so long, which is exactly why I want to see this fight run back one more time. You alluded to, Jose, his press conference, Dominic Cruz, who hadn't lost since 2007. You were there. You were able to cover the fight. And I know that they had a lot of they had a skirmish at the weigh-in. These guys don't like each other, but there is respect when you fight someone. There is respect in competition. His press conference was amazing, and I can't put into words what it must have been like for you to be there. What was the reaction in the media room when Cruz gave his speech and essentially said part of life is losing? Yeah, I mean, if you didn't respect Dominic Cruz going into that fight, you sure as hell should uh, respect him now. Uh, A lot of people might have said that he looked injured or he looked like he wasn't 100% or maybe it was a bad camp or maybe too much media because Ronda wasn't doing the media. They seemed they made Dom and... Cody do more and more interviews than you than most co-made events, and maybe people said maybe that got to him, or maybe his his job at Fox Sports took time away from camp. And Dominic Cruz stood, and I want to say he stood. He didn't sit down. He stood in front of the media and said, "I was 100%. I was 100% healthy. I had a perfect game plan. I had a perfect camp. I wasn't distracted. I was ready to win. And he just beat me. And I'll have to live with it. I'll take it like a man. And that's that's how champions should act." Yeah, it was, I mean, I think there's something to be said, Jose, about accepting defeat. I mentioned how these guys disliked each, dislike each other, but still shook hands, still acknowledge each other in competition. And Cruz has been injured. You know, he is getting up there in age. He's a veteran fighter, probably is the greatest bantamweight ever. 
But you mentioned it before. There's one guy not to bet against if they run this fight back, if Cruz could come back sooner rather than later. I would definitely not bet against Dominic Cruz. Yeah, and it, uh, Dominic Cruz even said that if, that if I don't get the immediate rematch, he's okay with that because he knows that he's still in the top. He's still number one. It's, it's Cody Garbrandt's the champion. Dominic Cruz would be the number one, and TJ Dillashaw would be number two. Those three at the top of the division are about as skilled martial arts as you'll get in terms of all-around uh, skill sets. I don't even care who fights for the title next because I just I just love watching great fights. Whether Dom gets the rematch or TJ fights and maybe Dom fights John Dotson or John Lineker, the bantamweight division is very, very fun right now. And I, I know for sure this is the last title fight we're going to see Dominic Cruz in. Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to bet against him, that's for sure. And like a lot of divisions, you seem to be saying that a lot. The UFC has another deep pool in the men's bantamweight division. Now, Cody Garbrandt, another guy undefeated, another guy with a great year. Garbrandt's name is in the top of the list for best years in 2006. But the fight that we're looking at now, the most dominant performance outside of Nunez, but thoroughly dominant performance on the card, was probably TJ Dillashaw. And his victory, Jose, he, he looked like a flat-out beast. And I say that with the most respect I can put on a statement. He did everything he wanted to in that fight. Uh, just your thoughts on what type of fighter Dillashaw is and how he could challenge now for this Bantamweight title. I always like to see long-time champions get that, get that fight back. But if they don't do that, there is no question that TJ Dillashaw is the number one contender. Uh, him and uh, Cody have the history. They were both in Team Alpha Male before TJ left. Uh, TJ, like you said, had the perfect game plan for Lineker. I mean, John Lineker is probably the hardest hitter in the entire bantamweight division. He looks so gun-shy against TJ Dillashaw because for, for the last few fights, TJ has been a footwork machine with his, with, his, with his Muay Thai and his kickboxing and his striking. And he seemed to just take John Lineker down at will whenever he wanted and I know John Lineker broke his jaw in that fight, and much respect to John Lineker for taking about seven or eight elbows right between the eyes and not not losing consciousness and standing right back up. I know he definitely has a few concussions after that one, so respect to him for staying in there. But TJ Dillashaw had the most dominant win outside of the champion, and he is absolutely the next number one contender at bantamweight. Yeah, first off, I mean, Lineker, all the respect in the world to his heart, finishing that fight, taking the beating and, and not submitting and not, you know, getting knocked out. But that said, I mean, the numbers are just out of this world for Dillashaw. 177 to 51 in total strikes, and he was 5 of 6 on takedowns. I mean, he did it all. He did anything that he wanted to do in the octagon, and I think it's it's a great position for the UFC to be in, Jose, because both of the top guys up next for a bantamweight title fight looked as dominant as ever. I think this fight is one that could be right up there with any of the big fights we both want to see in 2017. 100%, and I think this would be an excellent... I know the new UFC owners want to do a lot more Fox cards, and uh, not Fox Sports, but just Fox in general, like the big Fox, so people can tune in, they can grow bigger fans, and I think putting TJ and Cody Brandt Cody Garbrandt on either the April or July Fox card is the perfect headliner for that because, like you said, these are two very uh, intelligent fighters. They're very articulate. They can handle themselves in interviews. They're good-looking guys. They have history. Yeah, like you said, the, the, U, the, the UFC could do a lot worse than having these two fighters next for a title shot. And I, I'm very, very excited in terms of just watching that fight unfold. 
you have two potential stars, too. You have guys that could be at the top of the list for future faces, future stars in the company. So it's a good problem to have. I like that idea, though. UFC and Fox, get the name brand out there and get the opportunity out there for these fighters. And lastly, Jose, before I let you go, I got to get your thoughts on something else. This was actually the last pay-per-view uh, announced by Mike Goldberg, the play-by-play guy. What are your thoughts about that, the, the decision, I guess, whether it's both sides or one side in particular, to move on, and what direction maybe the UFC could go with their lead play-by-play voice? I definitely feel for Mike. He's been with UFC for 20 years. Uh, if you watch any highlights of any major, any Conor McGregor, any Ronda Rousey, any Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Rampage, Anderson, you're always going to hear Mike Goldberg. And what people don't know, like outside of calling the fights, is he would do all the promo packages, he would do the commercials, he would do all of that, and he would do a lot of the promos fights live perfectly every time. I'm going to miss Goldie talking to him many, many, many times, and his passion for the sport is unparalleled. A lot of fighters love him. You won't find many people in the industry that have a bad thing to say about Mike Goldberg, especially because he's been doing it for so long, even when the UFC was not a big deal and they were fighting in these very, very small arenas. So I'm, I am glad that he got the opportunity to see to, to go from that to where it is now, but I, I definitely feel for him, especially because he didn't get a proper send-off from the UFC. I mean, as the pay-per-view just ended, yeah. they didn't even touch upon it. They didn't say, oh, we'd like to thank Mike Goldberg for two decades of work. They just signed off. Uh, in terms of what's next, I hear uh, J- Jim Rome is a name I hear a lot. That oh, might yeah. be uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan's new commentator, commentator buddy. I don't know how I feel about that. I think they should just promote John Anik. He He's the B-team uh, play-by-play guy, and, uh, and I think he has put in more work than anyone in terms of, of behind-the-scenes play-by-play and broadcasting. So I'd like to see John Anik get promoted. But we'll see. Uh, I, but I do feel feel bad for Goldie. That's that's for true. You know, broadcasters, it's, it's almost a thankless job at times because if you mess up, you're doing it in front of everyone. Uh, and I do think he made mistakes, like a lot of play-by-play announcers in sports do. But to hear you, someone on the inside, say that he, he was as passionate, he was dedicated, and had the respect of his peers, it makes you feel bad that they couldn't even give him a proper send-off. And, and I understand the business side of it. You want to go in a different direction. You want to have a new voice. That's fine. The UFC can make that decision. But I think to not give proper credit in a tribute package of some sort is, uh, is a little off for me. And I'm with you, man. And I don't know how you feel about Jim Rome. I think I know how I feel about Jim Rome for being the play-by-play voice of a sport that he hasn't really covered a whole lot of. I like Joe Anicki. I think he is somebody that puts the time in, is passionate about what he does, and is very well prepared. I just want to see somebody that is a passionate champion of the sport, like Goldberg was, that he can kind of help carry the sport and, and show that he, it's a genuine love, not just the paycheck. Yeah, and I don't think we're getting, this is the last we'll see Mike Goldberg behind the booth of a, of a fight of a, a fight promotion. I know it's interesting that he, literally the day they announced it was his last fight, uh, fight, you go on his Twitter and Goldberg immediately follows Bellator, uh, 1FC, the 1FC president, Ryzen, which is the big Japanese promotion that that holds a lot of these high profile but very weird fights, just had a a, a fight card this weekend and they had a Bellator fighter, uh, Joe Warren, do play-by-play and he was absolutely awful. It looked like he just showed up and talked with no notes and just was making mistakes left and right. 
So I, I, I bet they, they contact Goldie. Uh, maybe he goes and do some WWE stuff. But this is definitely not the last time we've seen Mike Goldberg behind the booth, especially because there's so many fight promotions now that, that everyone needs someone like him with that much experience. Right. And I didn't know that. He's following other fights on Twitter the day they make that Literally announcement. seconds after they announce it, you go on his Twitter, he's following pretty much all of the UFC's competitors now. Wow. Interesting. See, that's a dynamite drop in. why we have you on. But... Jose, in all seriousness, thanks for coming on the show and recapping UFC 207. I'm getting ready for 2017. I think UFC put us uh, on the right path for another big year. 100%. And, uh, I'm very excited to see where the sport is a year from now. All right, thanks again, Jose. Welcome back, as always, anytime. Thanks, boss. Thanks again to Jose Youngs for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and discussing UFC 207. Jose's a very talented MMA writer, somebody that everybody should follow and keep tabs on his work. UFC is getting bigger and bigger. 2017, some good fights coming up. I can't wait for any of them. Thanks again to Jose. All right, now it's time to talk to Chris Miller, one of my favorite guests on the Money Mitch Effect, probably the most frequent guest that I've had. We're gonna recap week 17, the finale of the regular season talk about the playoff picture, the MVP race, coach of the year, and we're going to talk about Black Monday. NFL head coaching jobs are wide open now, six and counting, coaches being fired, who are the top candidates to replace them, all of that and more with Chris Miller now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, the 2016 NFL season is finished. The season's over. We have a lot more to recap. Playoffs are on the way, and it is Black Monday, the day when a lot of coaches are fired, and we start to realize who the next batch of NFL coaches might be. So I brought back Chris Miller to discuss all the happenings there. Chris Miller, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me yet again. This is going to be an exciting day because we always prepare for this time of year. Again, it's not so much us taking pride in coaches getting fired, but the turnover rate at the NFL is just out of control, and yeah. you see it time and time again. This year could be a, an exceptional year for that. Oh, definitely. I think we're, what, I think according to our count, we're looking at maybe eight, maybe nine. Six official. Six and official. We haven't even gotten to noon on the East Coast yet on this Monday. Yep. I mean, Kubiak technically wasn't fired. He resigned, or all right, retired, whatever you want to call it, due to health reasons and the fear of having Trevor Simeon as his quarterback. <laughs> Just nightmare. <laughs> well, and Simeon, and that's the sad state of quarterbacks in the NFL, is that Simeon's not probably bottom five or six, you know. Yep. <laughs> but it is an interesting day because you want to get moving as quickly as possible. It's not quite a college situation in the sense that you don't necessarily need to move on right away to catch up with recruiting and whatnot. Right. But you want to get going. The year's over. It was bad for a lot of these teams. With the exception of Kubiak, it was pretty much bad for all of them. Yeah. You want to get going. You want to put this in the garbage and move on. Yep. So we gotta, we'll got we talk about that in a second. But I do want to recap the, the few good games of Week 17. It was a brutal Sunday. I love football. You love football. It, tested our, it tested our will for how much we really wanted to watch these games. Oh, my God. Yes. Especially that Rams Cardinals game. <laughs> we're now right, and that game would not end. Oh my god! <laughs> There's nine minutes left, and the Rams are down by thirty points. I was actually working yesterday, and that was one of my assignments: was working on that Oof. game. And I was writing up uh, a shot sheet for it, and you had to put in the final score. 
And I was like, do I put in 44 to 6 or do I wait because the Cardinals have the ball again? <laughs> this very well could be 51 to 6. It, it was it was a rough oh. day, especially that afternoon slate. There was some, some pretty rough games to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll put it yeah. to you like this. There a lot of teams that were kind of moving on, ready to ready to go with how bad the Rams were. The Bills Jets game had had the Jets that just quit on everything. The Bills that had fired and benched people left and right. So you really don't have as much to play for. Your ideal situation, Chris, is a week seventeen where everything's still up for grabs. But sure. week sixteen pretty much sorted all that out. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the AFC was pretty much decided going into week seventeen. The only Storyline was whether or not the Raiders or the Chiefs were going to be the number two seed. Other than that, all the teams were locked in. And the only other storyline was maybe the Redskins getting in uh, <laughs> well, with I'm a glad, win. Yeah, I'm glad you brought them up because there's they, they get our award, our, our de facto award of just biggest choke job of the week. Because if yeah. they win, they're in. I mean, I, the odds of a Lions-Packers right. tie, which would have been hilarious. That would have been great. Which, <laughs> we needed an ISO cam of Dan Snyder if that would have happened. But <laughs> the Redskins, all they need to do is beat a Giants team that wasn't playing for anything, Chris, that was already locked in the five seed, no higher, no lower, and yet they stunk it up on offense, losing 13-10. to 10. And yeah. shocking to me, because not that they lose this game, as, as good as the Giants are playing defensively, I think they can beat anyone, but... yeah. They weren't playing for anything. The Redskins had to win at home. If you can't win at home in Week 17, why are you even going to the playoffs? Oh, definitely. And unfortunately, this this adds to the storyline of Kirk Cousins not being able to play well in those clutch moments. Yeah. And they were driving with, what was a minute and change left, minute 30. Mm-hmm. And they really had a chance to at least get into field goal range to tie this. And he just throws a horrible pick. And, and the funny thing is, you know, people were calling it right before that play, too. Like, yep, this is the moment where Cousins <laughs> yeah. throws the game-ending pick. And that next pass, boom, game over. I just think, too, how do you pay this guy? Like, what's the market value for a quarterback like him? He threw for almost 5,000 yards this year. And there's a lot of bad quarterbacks getting money. Cousins I would not put in that bad class at all. He's going to get a lot of it. But he was on the verge of getting a mega deal. I just don't know if that's the kind of salary he should be getting or will be getting. I know there's two different questions. But it's an interesting decision coming up for the Redskins next year. If the Redskins want to go long-term with him, you got to think he at least has earned a, an Osweiler-esque contract. Oh, I yeah. think Because he's that a better be quarterback yeah. than Brock Osweiler. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you know. And the only thing that he doesn't have is the Super Bowl ring. But, I mean... Osweiler was watching that game. He yeah, wasn't playing like in it. Us. So I think he's definitely somewhere in that range. It's sad to say that that's where we are in the NFL, that Kirk Cousins is beginning, what, 48, possibly guaranteed, $72 million contract. But he's earned it, you know, for the most part, other than <laughs> week 17. He's had a great year. It's interesting, too, with uh, how you pay quarterbacks in this league, that it's the market value. It's what the climate is around you, and this might be the thinnest climate, and the, the thinnest crop of quarterbacks, 1-32, to 32, that I oh, can yeah. remember in a long time. So he'll, he'll be fine. But that was one game that set the tone, and it really made for an underwhelming Sunday night, knowing that Packers-Lions was just for seeding and not for a winner-take-all division or bust. Packers won that game 31-24, to 24. Garbage touchdown late that had all the degenerate gamblers who took the over, jumping up for joy in the new year. <laughs> but the Packers sure. win the division, six straight wins to end the season. Yeah. Think about it like this. Lions were 9-4. and four. Vikings started out 5-0. and 4-6 oh, and six Packers team. 
wins that division. Maybe the most impressive finish to a season in Rodgers' illustrious career. Definitely. I think, for me, as far as excitement factor, I think that when he had Week 17 in Chicago a few years ago to determine whether or not they would go to the playoffs, I think that excitement factor was a better game. Yeah. But winning six straight when everyone had you picked as a team that was going to be a huge bust just proves yet again why he is hands down one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And again, you got to give it up to Jordy Nelson, who's really come on strong. Now really that good touchdown on. receptions. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's back to being Jordy Nelson, and I think that's the biggest factor for this team. And you know who else was in the top three? I, I can't remember if he was tied for second or third. It was Devontae Adams. Yeah. He was right up there, too. So, you know, Rodgers had uh, 40 touchdowns this season, led the league. Did those two receivers account for 26. And this was an offense that expected more out of Randall Cobb. It didn't really have a running game. I mean, Ty Montgomery did an admirable job, but yeah. I don't know that he's the long-term answer, considering that he's a receiver by trade. A yeah. testament to their team. They overcame some defensive injuries and some uh, deficiencies, if you will. But this team is looking good, and it's, it's fun to watch. Definitely. The Lions, oh, look, they finished 9-7. and seven. They lose their last three, but they are going to the playoffs. And I, and I know they could easily lose pretty handily next yeah. week in Seattle. But it is an accomplishment for a team that, you know, they were awful last year, Chris. Not too many people were expecting things. I know it's a bad taste in their mouths now. But any playoff appearance, much like in Cleveland, is very much appreciated in Detroit. Oh, definitely. They've got a tough, tough game, though. They're going to have to go on the road at Seattle. Not as important as possible as you think at this moment. Right, well, and that loss of Earl Thomas earlier in the year has definitely hurt that Seattle secondary. You can see it. Uh, The Niners were actually having a pretty good day passing the ball. Granted, a lot of their passes were to running backs out of the backfield. I was expecting more from Chip Kelly on his last day, like when he knew he was getting fired. Like, try it all. (laughs) Let's just, yeah, let's line up, run a triple option, then spread out five (laughs) wides. Let's put Kaepernick uh, on the defensive line. I don't know. Why not? Just get crazy. Get weird with it. Hey, if the Vikings can line up Sam Bradford as a wideout and a wildcat yesterday, why can't Kaepernick play defense? Why not? I want to see Phil Dawson. You know, run routes. Know. <laughs> <laughs> there you yeah, go. go. Yeah. Was he like the oldest guy in the NFL? Second oldest guy, I think, maybe the Vinatieri. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go. But I, I think Lions, Seahawks, and we won't get into the full preview on this show. But I think that could be a, a more interesting game than we think, given that Stafford is a gamer. He's I mean, even last yeah. night he didn't play bad. Their defense has been has been beat up. Rodgers is clicking. Yeah. But the Seahawks have lost their two biggest X factors. I think Baldwin and Graham are. are are great players. We expected that. But yeah. in terms of big playability, Tyler Lockett and then C.J. Procise before him, yeah. those are big play weapons that they lost. And I think Detroit could give them a game. Definitely. I think, you know, this time of year, though, the biggest factor is going to be the fa- is Detroit's got to play outside in Seattle, which can get very cold and very wet. So I think it just depends on which Seattle weather shows up, and I think it's going to be the wet and cold, and I think that's definitely going to put a, a cramp in Matthew Stafford's game. So Chris Miller on the Money Mitch effect. We're still talking Week 17 NFL action and a little playoff preview. A lot of Black Monday talk in a few moments as well, but I do want to touch back on that. The game that I think everybody's looking forward to next weekend, there's some bad games lined up. We'll get to the AFC in a, in a bit, but... Packers-Giants, I, I am excited for that game. And whoever wins that game is going to have the, the riding-high narrative of Super Bowl team for sure. These are two oh, yeah. surefire teams playing very well. I, I can't wait for this one. Definitely. 
You got two great quarterbacks. You have <laughs> Eli Manning is a great quarterback. Stop. Okay. He is. All right, okay. okay. Right. Pouty face aside. And even if he's not a great quarterback, he is an electrifying wide receiver. So who who can turn pretty much the worst pass into a touchdown? Two really good offenses. I don't think the Packers defense is nearly as good as the Giants defense. The the Giants have definitely gotten their money's worth in free agency on that defense. Giants play outside in the cold, so I don't think weather is going to be quite as much, but I, I have the Packers for this one, but it's going to be a great game. Funny how the Giants went to Lambeau to win both their Super Bowls on, in route. So yeah. there we go. This could be foreshadowing here. But the Packers, you know, they won the, their Super Bowl as a wild card team. They're used to running the table, having to win yeah. three games. And I'm excited for this one. Rodgers versus that Giant defense, that revamped, improved Giant defense and our first taste, uh, first taste of Ben McAdoo in the playoffs should be fun there. Definitely. The one seed was the Cowboys, no surprise there. But Atlanta, yeah. the Atlanta Falcons get the two seed. Now yeah. it was an underwhelming year in the NFC in the sense that the Falcons were able to do it with an eleven and five record. But Chris, this is a team that uh, I thought we, we we looked at at the beginning of the season. A lot of people, myself included, as a team that. We thought could make some strides. They started out hot and fizzled last year. Yep. They kept it going, and they went through a lot of adversity. That's what I'm going to remember about this regular season team is that they went through adversity. They had games and calls go against them, yet they oh, still sure. kept trucking along and, and had a tremendous regular season. Yeah, and they had that that moment around the midseason where you thought that, oh, here they go again. This is going to be the Falcons just like the last Seahawks year. The Seahawks game when they got kind of screwed yeah. out of the win with um, the P.I. call, yeah. and they just okay, we lost this week, we're going to keep going, and you know, they put their head down and won. Going through what they went through last year, starting out hot and then petering out, I think that was a really good lesson for them, and they figured out a way to not have that, that issue this year. They, they had their struggles, but Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, Julio Jones is back and healthy, more or less. I think the toes still a little bit, but toes seemed to be working on that touchdown grab yesterday. <laughs> I think, first of all, how do you pick coach of the year this year? I mean, this is a tough, Del Rio. tough two. Okay. <laughs> you know what? He might not make top three, though. I mean, he's up there, I but know. there's there, and it's not a knock on him. You got Quinn. Dan Quinn done a phenomenal job. Yes, Garrett in Dallas turning that team around. I know yeah. you could say Belichick every year. The job is pretty good to get by without Brady those first four games, and then Andy Reid getting the two. I mean, the point is there's a lot of coaches in that mix. Del Rio is one of them, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a fan. What can I say? No, honestly, for me, I got to go Andy Reid, even though this is a team that played very well last year. So them playing very well yeah. this year isn't much of a surprise. But you've looked at these, these last few games that they've played, starting with the Thursday night game against the Raiders. I mean, they have straight-up dominated teams. And the appearance of Tyreek Hill and the way he's worked him into that offense. factor. Oh, my wow. God. <laughs> um, and I said it earlier, I still think the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. It's hard for me to say that as a Raiders fan, but they're a good team. They play very good defense. And surprisingly enough, their offense is putting up a lot of points, which is not something you would expect from this Kansas City Chiefs team. But, yeah, I, I got to give it to Andy Reid or, yeah, Jason Garrett for sure. It's tough. It, I'm almost, and I don't want to penalize Garrett for, for having an Elliott deck situation that I think a lot of people would drool over. It's almost like it's the build up to a point, like it's turning the program around. So I'm, yeah. I'm on the fence between Reed and Dan Quinn. I think I would lean Reed, but I think what Quinn's done in Atlanta can't be overlooked. He came in, they were struggling. Mike Smith, that had went south fast in two years. They're sitting sure. at the number two seed. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, all very good coaches, all very good choices. 
I would give Garrett maybe a bit of an edge over Quinn just because he did it with a rookie quarterback and yeah. a rookie running back and also the best offensive line in football. Yeah, so. that's true. But, well, let's look at the AFC now, Chris. Sure. And the six seeds were pretty much taken care of. It was just about positioning. Raiders lose to the Broncos. Chiefs get that two seed. Dolphins got trashed by the Patriots, so the one and six were locked up. Yeah. And, you know, Texans were, were just solidified into that four. So now we're at a position where your Raiders, I do feel terribly bad for them because I thought, okay, with Carr, does this uh, team have a chance to make a run? Absolutely. Yeah. Was I confident in that? I don't. I can honestly say no because they were a young team, but and they are a young team. Yeah. But now you just get the sense that it's almost like a lame duck situation going into the playoffs. I know they drew the Texans round one. Anything could happen there. Anything could happen. Texans. Right. But it has to be deflating to know that. Maybe the biggest X factor, maybe the most important player to a team, to what they do, and Derek Carr is now out for the playoffs. Oh, of course. And, I mean, after watching yesterday's game, you really get a sense of how important he is to this team, especially on that pass where McGloin just floated in over Amari <laughs> Cooper for a wide-open touchdown. Yeah. And Connor Cook had a couple of those passes, too. That pick was a floater. You know, I love he's, this. He's not ready. And by the way, I just yeah. want to say too. Uh, you know, he had some the, good all moments. The, though. All the all those Browns and Cleveland jokes. Saying, okay, Cook's a Cleveland guy, so <laughs> I bet you wish we would have taken some of those back. Now, no, I I take nothing back. <laughs> the third string quarterback two weeks ago is not going to be ready to <laughs> to play a playoff game, and and we know how this works. He hasn't gotten reps in practice, like any reps. Until yep. Carr went down. They yep. don't have time for the third-string quarterback to get reps, let alone a rookie. Yeah, It's tough sledding for whoever's back there. You for would sure. like to have a defense that you can lean on, and that just isn't the case for the Raiders. Yeah. Well, fortunately for the Raiders, at least they're playing against a glorified backup quarterback and a third-string quarterback as <laughs> oh, well. Man, Tom Texas. Savage versus Connor Cook or <laughs> Is that the ma- Gil- not the matchup you want to see next they're week? They're flying the in uh, Cook Gilbert, Garrett Gilbert, the former Texas quarterback that's been floating around the league. Yeah. I mean, this is ESPN. Congratulations, man. That is <laughs> that's a great game we're, we're going to have. Yeah. Was there any more bigger lock of what the Saturday afternoon game was going to be <laughs> when we knew the yeah. games? Aren't you excited for that matchup? No, but, yeah, the def- the defense definitely has to step up, and we were talking about this before we started recording. I think Ken Norton Jr. definitely needs to be on the hot seat as far as coaching positions go. I know we mostly talk about head coaches, but these coordinators, the OCs and the defensive coordinators are just as important to your team as your head coach. And, you know, I'm not going to say the Raiders have a, a fantastic personnel. They have some great personnel in their defense. Not You know, they definitely have some gaps, but... I don't feel like they're a prepared team every year, every every week when they go out there. He makes adjustments, but those adjustments need to be made earlier or before the Darren game starts. You get that sense that the Raiders just, I don't know if it's a personnel thing. I think that's a large part of it. But I do, in the same way, you watch the games and you don't see adjustments. One of the most frustrating things as a fan is to watch your team play. It's halftime, you're struggling, and the same thing happens when you come out of the locker room. And, and I feel for you because I've seen that in Cleveland Time and time again, although this week yeah. they were trying to get the first pick, so a miraculous collapse at the end against the Steelers. I was really pulling for that 
Cleveland Browns two game winning streak though. That's the kind of momentum you need really going into me upset that you were pulling for it. You need that momentum though to carry you into the next season. I was worried. I was worried for a second. You know when they were in the red zone. Uh, yeah. You know overtime touchdown wins it, but then they lost fourteen yards on a on a second down. But <laughs> I think the I think you can run backwards as fast <laughs> as you can yeah. and not lose fourteen yards. The most Browns moment though from that game was the what should have been a pick six that ended up being the fumble at the one yeah, yard yeah. line and it ended up. Not only not being a pick six, but a touchback for the Steelers. That team is just, it's comedy. Hey, as Hugh Jackson said, when they beat the Chargers for their only one of the season, the garbage Chargers that might be leaving San Diego, this could be the start of something. (laughs) This could be the start of something special. Yeah, how about that? That's right, you almost beat the Steelers' backups. (laughs) There you go. Hey, hey, wishful thinking. Before we go to the coaches section on this show, Chris, Real quick, is the MVP race now a two a two man race? I mean, the season's over. It's going to be the decision for the voters. But the way it's shaped up, with Zeke not playing, with Brady having a good year, but I don't know that he did enough to overcompensate for missing four games. I think it's a Ryan Rogers two headed race going into the voting. And I mean, I prefer Rogers, but I can't deny what Ryan's done either. Wow, you know what? I I still actually have Tom Brady very high on that. I mean, he lit up Miami yesterday. I think part of that was just years of anger and frustration of losing Maybe week a, seventeen you know, games to Miami. Hates dolphins. Yeah, like he just hates sea animals in general. <laughs> he's just very he's he's that guy who loved when tuna had part dolphin in it. I think back in the day, the canned tuna. <laughs> he just no. loved opening. He yeah, just loved just opening like, it knowing there's some chunks of dolphin in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, Aaron Rodgers for sure definitely made a, a a big statement for the MVP candidacy yesterday. Stafford definitely dropped, and yeah, Matt Ryan he had a great game yesterday too uh, against a, a pretty bad Saints team. So I'm, I'm going right now for me probably Brady or Rodgers. Yeah, I, I'm going Rodgers, Ryan, probably Brady third. I just don't know. I mean, when you miss four games, that's four chances to really solidify yourself and I think in the eyes of many voters not to take anything away from what Brady's done this year but he just didn't have you know the canvas to to, to lay his artwork down if you know what I'm saying so I think that's where I draw the line there it was a lot he would have had to absolutely be head and shoulders above for me to say he's the MVP this year well, and I think the the only thing that really hurt Brady from not being there those four games is the fact that the team still went three and one without yeah. him, you know. Yeah. And you people keep saying, "Oh, well, see, Brady's really not that great of a quarterback." <laughs> it's the system. No, Brady's a great quarterback. <laughs> I hate to bring it to you, he's a great quarterback who's on a very well coached team. Yeah, the fact that they went three and one, I think, again, does somewhat hurt his candidacy, but. When he came back, he came back with a passion. He was throwing for 300-plus yards, four touchdowns a game for the first few games. So he definitely did his best to catch up. He did, and I think it's going to be an interesting voting you know, season for some of these voters who have a tough decision on their hands, that's for sure. All right, Chris Miller on the Money Mitch Effect, and while we're here, why we are here, it is to talk mostly now about coaches getting fired Black Monday, although we're going to have to start renaming it Black Sunday because the last couple of years, Chris... All the drama has happened on Sunday night at the end of the season. We've had yeah. three coaches fired before we got to this point. Three more have been added to the list. Six openings, and we're at about 9 o'clock a.m. time as we record this in Los Angeles. Six already. We're expecting up to eight or nine, but of all the jobs that there has been coaching changes, and we'll get into the list in just a second, what surprises you the most? <coughs> what at this moment, Chris, makes you... 
you know, a little more surprise than the others. Well, I mean, Gary Kubiak stepping down for sure. I mean, I totally understand why he did it, uh, because he doesn't want Trevor Simeon as his quarterback. We all get that. No, I mean, he's he's had some health issues. He had them uh, while he was in Houston as well. He had that, that famous moment where he had to be taken to the emergency room, you know, right around halftime of a game. So I get that. It's extremely stressful and hard to be an NFL head coach. And your health has got to be important, you know, the most important thing to you. Urban Meyer in college had to take some time off before going back to coaching. You know, I don't think it's the end of Kubiak. Uh, I hope not. He's a good He's a good person. He's a good coach. But as far as the firings go, I'm a little bit surprised at Chip Kelly. I know we talked about this before. You know, I just didn't think the Niners were going to be that team that would fire two coaches after one season back-to-back. I figured that was something only the Raiders did. Um, <laughs> All right, not the only ones anymore. That's no, good. I know it's it's a new era in the in the Bay. You know, the Raiders are playing well, and the Niners are firing coaches early. So there's six openings, and I'm with you. I mean, Kelly going, <laughs> Kelly and Balky coaching GM fired. I love that press conference too. The statement that the York family says. Oh yeah, uh, we're really happy with what he's done, but we got to move on. Like, okay, yeah. are you really happy? You're going to be paying about thirty million dollars to coaches that aren't coaching your team next year. Yeah, that situation is a mess, man. And we're going to get to like a power ranking in a second. But the last thirteen years, they've had three double-digit winning seasons, all under Jim Harbaugh. Yep, this team is just—I don't know how you can sustain success with that model, uh, the organizational model that they have, but. Right now, we're looking at San Francisco, we're looking at Denver, as you said, Kubiak stepping down. We like Jacksonville, Buffalo, and L.A. all got rid of their coaches before, and San Diego, Mike McCoy getting fired after the game as well. Pretty much yeah. getting fired after he lost to the Browns, I would think. But yeah, that, that Browns loss definitely solidified his, uh, his ticket out of there. But if we're looking at jobs, I think we might disagree here. I, I know L.A. has golf and has the scenery. I like that Denver job. I, I really do. I think... I know you got questions with Simeon, with Paxton Lynch, but you have a defense of just absolute beasts. They were hit by the injury bug at the end of the year. Yep. Just had won the Super Bowl last year, and I think Elway is a guy that will always be looking at that quarterback position, and he's not going to wait on Simeon that long if he's not the answer. Oh, definitely. But I mean, and the one thing I was surprised with yesterday's game is they didn't throw Paxton Lynch in there to see if they had anything with him. Maybe they felt that. Okay, maybe Trevor Simeon isn't that bad. Weird game. I mean, the Raiders were, were out of it, the injuries yeah. to the car, and then McGloin goes down. They were up big early, and Denver yeah. was like, oh, I guess we can ride this one out. I, I think, I don't know if that was the plan going into it. Yeah. You know, I, I look at some of these jobs. I do think L.A. is intriguing, and the list coming out of who they want to interview, what approach <laughs> everybody. <laughs> everybody? Would you take, we need an offensive guy, we need a guy like a McDaniels, a guy like a Sean Payton who's rumored to be, Maybe on from the Saints, Kyle sure. Shanahan, or would you go the other route and say, give me a defensive guy? That's a tough call. The Rams are such an enigma because they they do have a really good defensive set. But they have some have, good you gotta have have some, offense because their yeah. defense was so worn out by the end of the year. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily the coach's fault. I mean, their offensive line can't block. They don't have any receiving weapons that can spread a field out to make things easier for for Todd Gurley. So we'll see. I mean, Goff definitely, I think, has a pretty pretty good arm of we've seen here and there in his time uh, on the field. So they definitely, I think, have the arm they need to open up the field. They just need the receivers. 
So in this instance, for the Rams, I, I definitely see them maybe, yeah, if Sean Payton does end up parting ways with the Saints, could be a good fit for them. Yeah, I think if you have a defensive guy there, they definitely need that offensive mind to p- call plays that the coach can let run the offense that won't get in their way. So yeah. that can work too, but I, I think it's all about developing golf and, and figuring out what you have and getting him some playmakers. I mean, not just yeah. the line for Gurley. Get him some receivers to make them make to get open. I mean, that's the other side of it. Yeah, the Rams are definitely going to have to open up the checkbook. This they can this. only throw the ball in the backfield to Tavon Austin so many times. Yeah, exactly. Well, and Tavon Austin, I mean, he's not a one receiver. He's just not. You know, I don't think Kenny Britt is either, although he had a pretty darn good year. Isn't it funny, too, when we get to this point, all the all the, the stuff that leaks, the stuff that teams leak, and the stuff that it's like, oh, the Niners, I read today that the final straw was that Chip Kelly wanted Dak Prescott in the draft. Yeah. Okay, now, I, I yeah, sure. in retrospect, everybody wanted Dak, Dak Prescott in the draft, right. and that might be true, but how much of that is, let's just talk about why we got rid of Balky, let's justify that. Right, yeah. And I think, going back to the Niners, I think part of the reason why they parted ways with Chip Kelly is it was sort of York's way of saying, look, I'm getting rid of Balky, but I'm getting rid of everything Balky did. I'm starting over. Unfortunately, Chip, you were part of that process. He's the one who wanted you to, to bring you in. Uh, let's just wipe everything out, start over, and see what we can do. That Niners situation, I mean, I know we're going to talk power rankings, but... Yeah, well, let's get boy. into that, because I think that's last. That, that has to, we're in agreement there. I mean, it's funny how every California team not named the Raiders is looking for a head coach in the NFL. Wow, what a bizarre world we are living in. It's, it's Trump's America. I don't know. I don't even know if that's so we're, it. So, that's six. I think yeah. we look at Rams-Broncos in that top two range. The Rams... Definitely. They have some pieces there, and they have some stability now. I think For sure. that's there. So you look at those two, Niners last. I would say fifth is Jacksonville. I, there's I a lot of question one, marks yeah. there. I, and I think, I think I know what your fifth is because I'm going to talk about my fourth in a second. But I would go Jacksonville fifth because the quarterback position is a mess. Yeah. I, I don't know what type of owner Khan is, is trying to be. I don't know. I don't know what their identity is. There's a lot of question marks. It's, it's a hands-on job, and I don't know how quick they're going to be good, especially when you have a weakness at the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, for me, the Niners, I mean, I've said this every time I've been on your podcast, that I think the Niners, you know, despite what the records say, is the worst team in the NFL. Uh, I know the Browns only won one, and the Niners won two, but the Niners won two against yeah, the, Rams. the Rams. Yeah, we the twice this year, <laughs> unfortunately. But the Browns, I think, definitely beat my number five situation. I think the Chargers, you got Phillip Rivers for maybe another year or two. Maybe. I mean, he's definitely getting up there. You've got a very injury-prone offense. Your number one wide receiver uh, has almost never played the last two years, despite being electrifying when he is there in Keenan Allen. And... That defense is hit and miss. See, that's where I, that that's the one thing. I think the relocation is another factor. What's sure. going to happen to the team? But I think defensively, right. there's some big time playmakers. Bosa is probably going to win defensive rookie of the year. Ingram's a stud as well. Yeah, I think there's something there, and this is tough. I mean, I I see what you're saying, but with Jacksonville, San Diego, they're not as ideal. Yeah. as some of the other jobs, and I would say, I mean. We're looking at the, the other positions that are open. I mean, would you go then Buffalo and that Buffalo would have to be our de facto third? I would say Buffalo would probably be four. 
Oh, do you like that Jacksonville job? I do. There was a reason why people <laughs> liked this team as a as a, a possible darling this year. There was a reason why people thought that they had a chance at the AFC South, and they have a lot of talent on that team. It's just very young talent. And that's why we talked about this last week, you know, just texting. I think that Tom Coughlin would actually be a really good wow. a good pick for this team. He's already interviewed with them, um, and so, I think he has what it takes. He's really good at working with a young team because what young teams need more than anything is discipline, and he's definitely a disciplined coach. Early meeting times, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, this is a good part, part of the show with Chris Miller on the Money Mitch Effect to discuss the, the differences of opinions here. A lot of the criticism in NFL head coaching hires is that they're retreads. How do you feel about that? Do you think it's a case-by-case basis? Do you have a general thought on that? I mean, a lot of people would say, Tom Coughlin, he's been around the block. Let's try something new. He's been around the block, but he has two Super Bowl rings. <laughs> and those two rings came against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a case-by-case basis. You know, I think Josh McDaniels is going to get another opportunity at some point, if not this year, it, soon. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he tied himself very strongly to Tim Tebow in that draft. I mean, that was his boy. And <laughs> Denver ended up tanking, you know, after, you know, afterwards. So we'll see. I think Coughlin's definitely one of those guys that deserves another chance. I didn't think he should have been let go from the Giants to begin with. So, yeah, he, I don't think... definitely be there. I think... It's fair to say he's different than any other retread because he has the pedigree and has won. But yeah. on the other side, he's getting up there in age. It's fair to wonder if the yeah. game might be passing him by. You know, it, you're not going to be a great coach. It's like any job. You start, you do start to slip a little bit at the end. I, I could see yeah. from both ways. I don't think it would be a bad hire, but I'm not fully sold, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I mean, Tom Coughlin definitely has more of an, an old-school mentality when it comes to practice. Yeah, can he comes still, can still connect with these younger players? That's my biggest question. I think that's a question for any head coach. I mean, you look at your youngest head coaches are going to be maybe mid-30s, early 40s. Yeah. They're still going to be, you know, 15, 20 years older than any player coming into the league. So I think connecting is an issue no matter what, unless you're Pete Carroll and really into <laughs> pop culture and just having a good time. Dancing. You know, <laughs> dancing in the lockers and stuff, you're going to have an issue. That's always an issue. But I think what Tom Coughlin brings is wins. And I think once players see that they're, they're playing a much better game and they're competing and they're winning games, they start to get in line. You know, I have an unpopular opinion. I don't know that I'd be opposed if it was Marone getting the full-time gig. Yeah. He wasn't bad in Buffalo. People forget... They weren't a terrible team. They didn't have great quarterbacks then either. Yeah. You know, those are probably the two you're going to look at. I don't know. They're, they're interviewing Shanahan. They want to talk to McDaniels. I just don't know that they're going to be the first choices for a lot. There's going to be a lot of musical chairs here. Not yeah. just for teams picking coaches, but for coaches that are in high demand making the right choice. I do want to, I do want to hear your thoughts on the Buffalo job before we get into a you know, more broader picture approach. It's interesting because I still am trying to figure out, Pagula, what – how his style is going to be. Getting rid of Rex and Rob yeah. might not have been the worst thing in the world. <laughs> might not have been the worst thing in the world to just say, we're going to start fresh. We're going to start more traditionally, and you're not going to have these big, brash personalities. Yeah. Quarterback position's an issue. 
But they got some talent there. I wouldn't sleep on this job as a, being a good destination. I don't think the quarterback is as big of an issue as people like to make it out to be. Tyrod Taylor is probably one of the best quarterbacks the Bills have had since Jim Kelly, to be honest. I mean, that's not saying much. Doug Flutie? <laughs> Doug Flutie was a good quarterback, yeah. Well, but, my Flutie flicks, but I see what you're saying. <laughs> but, I mean, considering, granted, considering, you know, their other choices are like J.P. Lossman, I guess that's not saying Trent much. Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> Trent Edwards, yeah. So, oh. uh, it's not uh, E.J. Manuel, um, who they brought out God, he yesterday. He looked terrible yesterday. He looked terrible all the time. That's why he got yeah. benched. Cardell Jones, maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. They, they have talent on, the, on defense. It's sure. not perfect, but really, who is in this NFL? I think this could be a good job. And this is a job where we talk about what would be the perfect fit. I'm, st- I'm not sure. An offensive guy to maybe right the ship, but defensively, you get a you get a good defensive coach there. This could be a, a top flight unit. It's it's definitely. I mean, they they brought Rex Ryan in because they thought he was going to fix that defense. Um, I think Rex's biggest mistake was hiring Rob Ryan. I think that sort of sealed the Turned deal. Turned into a complete freak show. Their offense is not bad though. I mean, especially if they keep Shady McCoy and they keep him healthy, this is definitely a team that can compete offensively. And you want to really just stick it to Rex. Let's just, I don't know how, if it was a, a bad breakup or not. I mean, I, I assume any breakup with Rex Ryan is probably pretty bad. You know, yeah. why not bring in the Pats defensive coordinator, Matt, uh, defensive coordinator Matt Patricia in to, to, for the job? He's a good defensive coach, and God, what better way to say, <laughs> screw you, Rex. But yeah, other than like hiring Brandon Jacobs, I can't really think of like a worse way. Plus, I mean, you want someone from that division that's going to give you an edge against the Patriots. Let's put that's that's what it is in the AFC East. Is everyone is just trying to figure out a way to top the Patriots, and I think he would be a, definitely a good choice. I don't think Josh McDaniels is quite the right person for this team, but if you want to bring in a Pats coach, Matt Patricia. Before we get to looking at the candidates and looking who could be good fits in, in certain jobs, what do you think for the other openings? We got six right now. Sure. Are, are we going to lock in Saints? Do we think Peyton is looking at his last days? Was yesterday his last game as a Saints coach? I definitely think yesterday was his last day as a Saints coach, and I think the Rams is more than likely going to be his landing spot. It just seemed like it was time. You know, you're there yeah. for such a long period. A lot of ups and downs. I think more more ups and downs than most coaches ever experience. Yeah. And it might be his time. He's still relatively young, still has a lot of coaching in front of him. I think it's going to be, it'll probably be good for both parties to kind of move on, get a new voice in the room. They're privileged enough in New Orleans to have a guy like Drew Brees, still has some good football left in him, can be that yeah. veteran presence to hold the fort down and stabilize things. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if Sean Payton goes, that New Orleans job, it's pretty good. Not great. I mean, you maybe have a year or two left of Drew Brees, you know, to sort of transition you into a new quarterback. But I definitely think, yeah, Peyton's out and the Rams are going to be his landing spot. And a little nugget of uh, info, his daughter actually goes to school in Los Angeles. So, oh, so good place for him to be. I think she's at Pepperdine. I don't, I don't want to give out too much information. I've given out too <laughs> much already. Like, we'll stop Please. there. <laughs> I believe. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, that's public information. You know? uh, she was on you know, NFL Now interviewing her dad when he was, you know. So it's not, okay. it's not right. a surprise. And I, I'm pretty sure Pagano's <laughs> on his way out, too. I was going to say, man, crazy Jim Irsay. Like, you can't trust him. You can't trust him. He has a Pagano has a press conference today in a little over an hour. So by the time we wrap this up, we could be looking at an opening. Yeah, you just don't know what the Colts are capable of. So if you say Saints Colts, 
And the wild card that we're hearing is Texans, a playoff-bound Texans, two-time division champs. But that could be a mutual interest thing. That the the rumors swirling around Bill O'Brien definitely are confusing. But especially considering they've won their division now two years in a row. Granted, it's the AFC South, but they still won it two years in a row. I think it's definitely going to be you know come down to uh, this game next week against the Raiders. I mean, can he win a playoff game? That's huge. If he doesn't win this game, what happens there? But then again, he Marvin won't... Lewis is coming back, and he can't win a playoff game. So, no. well, you got the Brown family in Cincinnati. That I don't know if they just, you know, it's like picking, uh, it's like picking apples off a tree. Like, okay, well, we have a coach, so this is fine. We're just going to go the same tree every day. We don't really care about the results. This is just this is good enough for us. That's what it seems like in Cincinnati. Well, sure, Houston, the Steelers are like that too. You know. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> if I criticize Tomlin, it could be dangerous. It's not really. Good. No, no, nothing against Tomlin. I just yeah, think I there's something to be said about teams that you know let the coaches just coach. No, it's you know? fine, but you got to win. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the other true. side of it. True, and Tomlin does have a Super Bowl ring and yeah. you know some pretty good wins. Whereas Marvin Lewis, I don't know. I I mean I don't think he's a bad coach. I just shocked that he's still there to I'd be honest going back to O'Brien I think the only reason I would want to get rid of him now would be if he was like Hugh Jackson was on the Raiders so adamant and we don't know that if he was so adamant Osweiler 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 yeah give him that big contract that looks like an abomination right now yeah but if he wants to move on hey maybe he does I heard this interesting point the other day too maybe he's the guy that Kind of turns the ship around, but doesn't quite get them over the hump. At Penn State, did the same thing. Sure. Did it with the Texans, but maybe just can't win in the playoffs. You look at it like Bulls is back, is going to come back for the Jets. Fox is going to come back. Hugh Jackson. Don't disagree. I don't disagree with any of these moves. But nine seems I, to be I it. Do. I don't know if I see anyone else outside of those three potential uh, coaching changes that we just addressed. I'm not terribly surprised that John Fox is coming back. And Arians is coming back too. I know that was Bruce Arians. I'm a bit. I'm a bit surprised. Although Arians is is spending a lot of time adamantly saying that he will be back, and it's sort of a me thinks the lady doth protest too much sort of scenario. Perhaps that's like uh, wow, we're breaking in some Shakespeare for you all. That's a Shakespeare reference for anyone who wants to read a book every once in a while. I get that from my wife. My wife is a theater major. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive no, me. Fine. But I think it's one of those situations where maybe he's just being so vocal because he knows that there's a chance that he could be on his way out in the next few days. I mean, yeah. But then again, a, you, you... It might be a far, far better thing that he has to do now. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but then again, <laughs> you win 44-6 to six against the Rams, maybe you get to keep your job for one more year. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is good. This will be on the test. <laughs> That's right. You know, you don't know what's going to happen one day to the next. You would like to see some stability at some of these positions. I think Arians is uh, is a good coach. It was a bad year, but he should be moving on. Uh, he is to a good another coach. He's year a great with coach. the Cardinals. Yeah. Chris Miller on the Money Mitch Effect. We're going to wrap this up by talking about some of the coaching candidates. I know you're really high on Peyton going to the Rams. Yeah. I think this is going to be a time where, and I'll call my shot now, I like... I like Kyle Shanahan to get a job somewhere. I think he is going to get hired, and whether it's the Rams, whether it's Jacksonville, even San Francisco, here's also another thing I like about it. One of the first things he's going to do is bring his dad on as a consultant. So you'll get the Mike Shanahan voice in the room. That's good, but you won't get everything that is necessarily bad. I think that's, at this point in his life, his career, 
That's best case scenario for the Shanahan family and whatever team that hires them. If that's the case, if he's definitely thinking about bringing his dad in as a consultant, then I definitely think there's a good chance he's going to Denver then. We know we know how it worked out with Mike Shanahan in Denver. Why not bring the son in, especially if his dad's going to be there to talk to him a little bit? And his dad is, I think, the one guy who could talk to, to John Elway, you know, because he was his coach. Yeah. And and really steer him in making you know better decisions in the off season. I think too when you get to that consultant point, these guys Shanahan has done done it all. Like he's he doesn't need the paycheck anymore. He just yeah. loves football. Yeah. So there's less pressure on him, and and he can kind of have a different approach to the game, see things a different way. I like him. I think McDaniel's. Look, I've said his praises for a while. I think he needs another head coaching job. I think it's time for him to get his chance. So, Definitely, and you know, I'm looking at that as well. And maybe you know, the Chargers. There's good bet of the AFC West to get the Chargers. I mean, he's a very offensive-minded guy, so you got to find a team that's looking for that. The Niners, maybe, but uh, I don't know if you want to make that decision. I mean, I don't know if I go there if I'm if I'm him. You got Coughlin looking at Jacksonville, Marones in that race as well. Anthony Lynn in Buffalo. That appears to be his job to lose, and, and he's a hotly sought-after commodity. They really like what he's done with the offense there. That yeah. might be best-case scenario. We're going to stabilize things. We're going to keep Tyrod Taylor happy, Shady McCoy going. I wouldn't disagree with that necessarily. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I just like the intrigue of bringing in someone from the Patriots. I don't know if that's <laughs> definitely the, what they're going to do. I just love the storyline, and me as a fan would love to see that just because who doesn't love that, that inbreeding that goes on <laughs> in the divisions, you know, coaches changing you know teams and players just going to the same, you know, same thing in the same division. That's what makes football fun, you know. So and that's the but, first yeah. inbreeding reference, and hopefully the last <laughs> on the money I'm just inbreeding <laughs> Shakespeare. I'm just I'm just Sean Payne. Just a little bit of matters. <laughs> that's right. Just a little bit of everything this week. Oh uh, wow! All right, yeah. And there's some other names out there. I I don't really want to see Mike Smith back on the sidelines just yet. No. Vance Joseph uh, in Miami is a, another highly sought-after sought commodity. And it's nice to see fresh blood, but you know going into it, Chris, that if we have six new coaches, three are just going to flat-out fail. That's the nature of the business. And that's why I don't fear the retreads, because sometimes you just have to go with the guys who have proven that they can win. Especially, again, like I said, when you have a young team like the Jags, that's why I like Tom Coughlin. I think the Chargers situation is tricky, because if they do end up leaving San Diego and coming to Los Angeles. It's the same with the Rams. You need to have sort of a head coach that goes with that. You need to sort of have a name. That's why I like Sean Payton with the Rams. You know, I think he's one of those guys that can survive the next two years and still be their head coach when they open up their new stadium in Inglewood. I don't think he's just going to be that two-year sort of bridge to the next big name. Right. And for the Chargers, same sort of deal. They're going to need somebody that is just it can survive these next two years and still be a big enough name and a big enough draw to bring people to a brand new stadium. Well, I'm excited to see how it shapes out. You have a lot of openings. You have different sets of circumstances. But the common denominator, all these teams want to win. They're sick and tired yeah. of the Patriots. They're sick and tired of the teams that have been good for a while. And oh, they yeah. want... And we talk about, I mean, early on the show, the, the previous interview with discussing Ronda Rousey and now how she's lost. When you're number oh, one, yeah. everybody else wants what you have. So yep. every decision is based on how can we catch up? How can we get to this level? And 
It's tough, man. Sports is a tough business. It's it's sure it's judged for everyone to see. One small mistake, one one miscalculation, you could be on the outside looking in at the playoffs. You could be on the outside looking for a job. That's yeah. how that's how razor thin the margin for error is. Yeah, and sometimes just what you need is stability. I mean, if you want to be the Patriots, hey, Bill Belichick's been the their head coach for what 16, 17 years. And he struggled with the Browns in his first job. He was all right. He he was at his ups and downs. Gets fired. Was a retread. Yeah. Did a great job. But I think part of it, too, is the GM, the owner, president, whatever the pecking order is. I know a lot of NFL teams have different orders. But there has to be some stability, a confidence, a willingness to back off, not be as hands-on. Belichick's a great coach, but he has a great system as well. Yeah. I mean, and... uh... Again, I know I talk about the Raiders a lot, but I think the one thing that Mark Davis did really well when he took over the team from his dad was bringing in Reggie McKenzie and just saying, look, I'll just run the team business, you know, be the owner, but you run the actual personnel and who ends up on the field. And that ended up being a great decision. And I think some owners have the tendency to, to get in the way. Sometimes they just hire bad GMs. But once you have the guys in place, just let them be there. I, I'm really sick of like these one-and-done coaches, these two-and-done coaches. Sometimes it takes a team and a coach and a GM uh, a few years to sort of just get things into the place and uh, get things to work right. And a little bit of patience every once in a while wouldn't hurt. It definitely wouldn't hurt. Well, Chris, it was an all-encompassing, <laughs> multicultural day. Multicultural day. We learned a lot. We learned a lot about <laughs> football, about life, and about yourself. Thanks for... <laughs> Coming on the show, Black Monday in the books, and still some more coaching decisions to be made. We're we're looking forward to it. We wish all these guys well, but you know it is time for a change, and we're excited to see what the NFL brings us there. Definitely, yeah. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Huge, huge thanks to Chris Miller and Jose Young's both guests on today's show. Two of my favorite reoccurring guests and two guys that are always welcome back on this podcast to help improve the quality and the content itself. Thanks to those guys again. Thanks to everybody listening, everybody who made this podcast grow and improve in 2016. And thanks to the people that helped make it as spectacular as it ended up being. Talking about Brian Nelson for designing the logo, Tim Adam for supplying the beats. And thanks to everyone again for listening. You can find the podcast, The Money Mitch Effect, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. I share all the links on my Facebook page and my Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. Give me a follow if you're interested there as well. Got a couple more shows planned for you this week. We're going to preview the NFL playoff picture in greater detail while I cut around this weekend. Talk college football. It's a rough game for my Buckeyes. They're out. Bama and Clemson in the finals. I probably have the worst bowl picks of anyone you know that tries to talk about sports. So I got that going for me, which is nice. The outdoor classic, the winter classic today with Blues and Blackhawks. I don't know the result at the time of this taping, but always excited for some outdoor hockey and NBA action as well. A lot to talk about on the Money Mitch Effect. And thanks for bringing me into your homes, bringing me into your car, wherever your work, if you're getting distracted, trying to get work done, and you're, you're listening to me. I do appreciate that. Mitch Michael signing off. Thanks again for listening to The Money Mitch Effect. And I'll see you next time. Keep watching sports.